0: Hi I'm Joseph and I'm TJ and this is Hi-Fi
1: so Joe I heard I heard a, I heard I heard a rumor that you didn't like the ending of one division nearly as much as I
0: did. The rumors are true. The rumors, are... Oh, no. uh, oh no! What are you going to do with my mind? You're not going to lock me up or cast any yeah, spells on you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you? totally.
1: I, I definitely. I knew I've got it. Some, you're a witch. I've got some mind magic for you, and we're it's going places, or you're going places, or something. Anyway, we'll okay. get to that later after the show. In, in officially, it's quote post show. So we'll we'll come back to that.
0: Alrighty. If you ha- if you weren't paying attention after the credits rolled and didn't see the post show, you might want to go back and listen to uh, several episodes of you know, our show again and uh, catch up with all the WandaVision discussion.
1: Of course. Yeah. Well, I mean, in order to lead a high fidelity lifestyle, you should be watching WandaVision to the end. Yeah. Well, of course I, I kind of, you know, that's a lot of credits to sit through on my couch. So I kind of scroll through looking for the credit scenes, but anyway, uh, okay. do you want to talk about the iMac pro?
0: Yeah, so this is kind of up my alley because I have the iMac. It is not Pro, but it might as well be. According to Apple, they are recommending the 27-inch iMac that is the current model because they are go- they've discontinued the iMac Pro, and it's available only while supplies last.
1: This this is frustrating to me, and I I understand. I think I understand what Apple's doing here, but it's frustrating because their whole point, one of the whole, you know, Apple made a big deal about refocusing on the pros. And I think there's holes in their lineup for pros. You've, you've got the high-end laptops, and then you've got the iMac Pro, and then you've got the Mac Pro. And there's still a little bit of a hole, I feel like, between the high-end laptops and the iMac Pro, where I think you need a Mac Pro, but uh, we've talked about this before. You need a Mac Pro, but smaller and not quite as pro, or maybe a, somewhere in between, and Apple's not filling that part, but the iMac did sit kind of between the iMac Pro sat kind of between the MacBook Pro and the Mac Pro, and they feel like um, the twenty regular twenty seven inch iMac is going to continue to fill that role. And but that kind of defeats them. like why did they make the iMac Pro? And they say basically their pro compu- their pro customers may want to look at the uh, Mac Pro and the twenty seven inch iMac. And I don't know. I just feel like they 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 box themselves into a corner, um, and then they. Uh, built the iMac Pro to fill that, you know, to fix that box that corner box and then they um they've they're abandoning it. I'm I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated.
0: Yeah, so I think that what Apple was doing with the iMac from the beginning was the iMac Pro was to make up for the mistake of leaving the glossy, you know, battery trash can Mac Pro around for too long and that was where they really made the mistake. And in, in my opinion, TJ, is that that Mac was just terrible for professionals. They didn't improve prove it. You know, it was not no, modular I, like they intended. I
1: completely agree.
0: They were just trying to salvage the situation by giving us the iMac Pro for a limited time while they were solving the Mac Pro equation. And I think that they may have kept the iMac Pro around if it hadn't been for the overwhelming significance of the the M1 chips. Like th- that's going to change everything.
1: Well, yeah, and I even though I'm frustrated about this, I do think this computer was built um, to kind of handle the split the Intel split between the consumer and the professional chips, right? And their Intel's professional chips are you know pretty amazing in, in a lot of ways, but they also you know do take a lot of heat and power, and so they kind of had to redesign the whole cooling system to put professional Intel chips, Xeon chips, into the iMac Pro. Um, I, I I think the way Apple can fix this for me. You know, obviously I think the M series chip will probably blow the iMac Pro out of the water, but then the way they can fix this for me too is to fill that mid-range area by by creating a smaller or less expensive, less powerful Mac Pro that's still better than a laptop. You know, I I think that's really what I'm feeling hmm. the, the the lack of here.
0: I think maybe that makes a lot of sense if you're just looking at the, the products sold, but maybe Apple looking at the products sold from inside is saying that, the the new the new generation of maybe the sixteen inch fifteen inch MacBook Pro itself will fill those shoes in terms of what the pr- creative professionals, the designers, the creators, the developers really will use from mo- you know year to year. So, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if the next generation top of the line MacBook Pro is the answer because we already have the Mac Mini and it is underpowered. It's like our iPhone Mini, and then you have that overpowered iphone pro max which itself is akin to the mac pro in this analogy and so so it doesn't feel like you know, you know what? i want it to like i would like to have a modular upgradable mac mini pro i don't care if it's like seven or eight times larger than the current mac mini because it's already really many it doesn't need to be that small but I have one of these Thunderbolt towers from OWC behind my iMac, and it looks like the size of what I I think you're describing. Like, give me a quarter of the Mac Pro, and that could be this lower end professional Mac. And yeah. I, I kind of get that.
1: It, yeah, uh, yeah. And I'm I'm really wanting something a little more traditional. But it, even if it's in a taller like Mac Mini, I, I think I'd still be happy. Um, it, it it just I what I want is a more expandable. But less powerful than the than the Mac Pro computer. Basically, I want what my Hackintosh is essentially, but done by Apple in the Mac way. That's that's really what I
0: want. Oh, I don't see Apple giving you a uh, an official Apple sanctioned Hackintosh. So you're out of luck with that. Well,
1: no, it doesn't. I, it, it wouldn't be a Hackintosh if Apple built it. But I mean, essentially, I want the Mac Pro, but less powerful and less expensive. Yeah. Like. You know, and it sounds like you're talking about something similar, just maybe not yeah. quite what I want. I'd go, I'd go a, for it.
0: It's a product I would love to have as an option, but I don't think they want it because I'm using the 27 inch iMac and it's really powerful. I can handle 4K footage from multiple sources and effects really well. And the price range is kind of comparable to what I imagine a Mac Pro Lite would be. So it's kind of hard to imagine why they would want the redundancy.
1: Well, to me, the problem is uh, – we're, we're getting into philosophical arguments here. We said we weren't going to spend much time on the side items. Um, <laughs> but to me, the problem is combining the computer into one thing that is – compressed inside there so that you know you have to use laptop components and not desktop components and i think that's even going to hold true like imagine what they could do with the m1 if they had more room like the mac pro but instead they compress it into this laptop form factor essentially and then they put this you know glue the screen to it and so if any one of those components dies or goes out or messes up, um, if the screen goes out, like the whole thing d- is dead. Like you can't, you can't put on a new display and keep moving. You can't, you know, replace your hard drive. You can't replace the RAM. I mean, I've talked about this before, but like this. I think we're giving up a lot by letting Apple continue to go down this road instead of fighting it a little harder. <laughs> I think that Apple is a little too far down. I'm I'm okay with some of it, but I, I think they're just too far down that road of this is a black sealed box, and if any one thing goes wrong, throw it out and get something else.
0: It'd be curious, too, if their vision is to – see what I did there? Yes, t- yes. Is to reinvent the iMac because – they're going to be introducing the M chips and there's this discussion about having a new design so i don't know maybe there's still hope for the idea it won't necessarily be modular but you would retire the iMac Pro because the iMac line is going to get a, a, a re, go, it's going to be reinvented so if that's the case maybe they will kind of fill those shoes
1: yeah maybe well, moving on, let's talk about the iPhone 13 rumors, because this is always fun, and yeah. especially a couple of these features, even though I have said I'm in it for the long haul with my 12 mini, some of these features definitely already are looking to me like, ooh, I want this. Um I... um so, so some of the rumors are. Let's just recap what these rumors are for the iPhone 13. Uh, you've got, of course, the A15 system on a chip, which is going to be faster. No surprise there. Of course, moving to a five nanometer process. If you're a chip, a little bit of even a little bit of a chip nerd like me, that, yeah, that's pretty exciting. You're fabbing at a smaller chip size. Bravo. Um, the, the 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 feature that really appeals to me the most is the smaller notch. I Yay. avoided the iPhone uh, 10 line. Um, you know, one of the reasons. I mean, there was many reasons, and this alone would not have caused me to jump to android for a while but i was really frustrated with the notch um and i just thought it looked awful i'm still not a huge fan of the way it looks uh, but i've learned to live with it uh so a smaller one is better um I, in fact i felt like the notch on my um oneplus 7t was just about right which is just just a little dip down for the for the front facing camera and a couple of sensors and that was it. it was a little tiny notch and i was very i was good with that the iPhone 13 is also rumored to have larger batteries. I always think that more battery is better on a phone. Mm. You have sensor shift camera stabilization, five G enhancements. The the, the Verizon five G. Joe, did you know that there's Verizon five G by Verizon five G. Wi-Fi 6E, lightning connector, millimeter millimeter wave expansion. I don't know why that's not under 5G imp- improvements. <laughs> and then 120 hertz display um, and ultra-wide lens improvements. Um, the one thing I don't care about on this list that everybody seems to rave about mm-hmm. is the 120 hertz display. I – my OnePlus 7T had um, a high, high – uh, it was a – I think it was a 90 hertz. I could not tell the difference – from standard mode and the higher refresh rate mode. Um, I wonder if maybe my eyes aren't as sensitive to that sort of thing as other people um, or what's going on there. It's kind of there. an interesting I, notion. Yeah. Why
0: wouldn't your eyes be as sensitive to that sort of motion? It's not like black know. and white or having, you know, being colorblind. It's it's motion people. Like how many frames per second are you seeing in your brain versus how many I'm seeing? I think we're seeing the so, same ratio.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't know. So um, my um, personal laptop, um, it has um, two display ports and one HDMI port. And if I connect my displays via HDMI, it will only do 30 hertz. If I connect via display port, my displays will do 60 hertz. 60 hertz is fine. 30 hertz is not. So I can see the difference between 30 and 60. I can see it clear as day and I hate 30. It's awful. 60 is fine. I don't notice anything. I'm sitting here, I'm, I'm shaking windows around. It looks great. Um, anything over that, I just can't tell a difference. I don't know if it's my eyes or what, and, or if I'm just don't, I don't know. And I've played around with the high refresh rate stuff in various places. I think the iPads have what, 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 uh, Apple calls promotion, which is 120 Hertz refresh rate. Um, I I really can't tell the difference from my, you know, from my phone versus the iPads at at promotion. I think actually, I think my iPad does promotion.
0: I think it has a lot more to do with whether or not you can see the difference. We're going to do it anyway because we can, and it is an improvement over the technologies. I I remember some of the other podcasters we like to follow have pointed out that not everything that they see on the device that is improved is necessarily something that was made for them, but it is something they're happy to see because it just means that as a the whole the product does get to be more superior it makes advances theoretically this feature could lead to something better in the future that is more meaningful hmm. and it reminds me of 8k footage like there's more and more people that are filming in 8k because they're future-proofing not because the audience is going to watch anything in 8k and even with a 8k television a very good display from sony for your home entertainment or your computing, you're doing so well that it's going to take a while before there is a real reason to move from 4K to doubling that up to 8K. It just it just doesn't seem like there's a legitimate reason as of yet. But it does afford us more interesting options for the future mm-hmm. technology. Mm-hmm. I think it has more to do with that Maybe maybe it has more to do with computer animation motion because one of the problems for Apple products is, in general is that they do want this future-proofing for augmented reality. So if you want the augmented reality stuff of 2025 to be first-rate – then you have to introduce things like 120 Hertz in the meantime.
1: Yeah, maybe. I can see it more as a we have places we're going that are going to require high refresh rates. That that makes sense to me. I, I and I I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, what are your thoughts on, uh, for
0: instance, like the smaller notch? I'm actually more excited about that. Uh, Here's my suggestion, TJ. I, I just don't want a notch. Can we just make the top bar black space a little thicker and spread it out from edge to edge and all of the device hardware can be up there? And if Apple even wanted to introduce something else up there, maybe an additional camera because you have the width of the phone from edge to edge, fine, so be it. But it's an unnecessary quirk that it has that, that, that notch. It's just, it's just odd. It's just tacky. And it feels like it was a overly opinionated design to go to this trouble. It's sort of the same problem with the punch hole design, that the punch hole design means that you have more screen real estate, but then you also have the eyesore of the punch hole as long as you ever happen to notice it.
1: I continue to maintain that my OnePlus 7T was the most nice looking notch that you could have. Mm. It wasn't a it wasn't a hole punch, but it was just a tiny little notch and it was a great camera.
0: So what is it was it a notch from edge to edge or was it uh, narrower like it is on the iPhone 10 and all the rest of them?
1: No, no, it's so it's the screen goes all the way to the top of the phone and then at the top of the phone it's all the way to the top until you get to the very middle and then just this little dip down. It's it's like a nice rounded dip down oh, for the camera. Oh yeah.
0: yeah, that I'm was good. Yeah, I've, I've seen a few of those. Yeah, that is a good design. If you had to go notch, 17. that makes sense. But I think that that's never going to happen for Apple because they have other uh, they have other hardware in their notch in addition that the iPhone mean, you had didn't right.
1: Yeah, OnePlus 7T had plenty of hardware in their phones, too. I mean, it had Face ID sensors and all kinds of things. So I just feel like hmm. Apple's design here is is old. I mean, at the time when Apple made it, I'm sure they had to do it that way. But I just feel like they haven't taken the time to redesign that um, that notch. And yeah. it's, time.
0: it's time. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Not that not a reason I would buy it because all all in all, all of these new features seem like the tick-tock year of the cycle, the talk. Hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, except that the talk years – I mean I think – are you thinking of like – when you say talk year, are you thinking of like the – it would be a 12S rather than 13 or what do you mean by that?
0: A 12S in the style of we're not going to introduce a whole lot of stuff that matters to people at large, nothing revolutionary, but we're going to make a lot of refinements over the iPhone 12 generation.
1: It it just seems like most of the time the S – well, every time the S's um, have always had the exact same external design so in which case they wouldn't would not, introduce a notch
0: yeah, yeah. A smaller notch i
1: i dropped a picture to you of the my one plus 7t um well it's not mine but it was a picture of sales picture of it um
0: yeah that's a good that's, looking phone i like the camera module on the back too that's nice
1: yeah i always thought it was a decent looking phone the only thing i didn't like about it was it was too tapered and rounded at the edges they're tr- really trying to make it feel thinner and i i actually love as we've discussed the flat sides of my 12 my phone 12
0: yeah it's very nice
1: any other thoughts on this or do you want to move
0: on? No, nope. we have a lot more to talk about so that we can move on.
1: Okay, let's talk about our main topic today, which is our productivity. Um, I was thinking of this in terms of like our favorite apps and things. Like when I think of productivity, I pretty much organize my life digitally, but I know productivity can stray into other realms. Like for instance, um, my wife does almost nothing with her productivity Tracking and 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 whatever her to do list is, none of it is digital. She only uses the digital stuff. And she she has a computer. She does plenty of digital stuff, but she only uses it as sort of a ancillary or satellite thing like she does of course documents and things she takes uh classes she's a she's a education nerd so she teaches and she takes continued education classes and things and so she has to you know do papers and write documents that's all on the computer very nice uh she has she has a phone you know we we we, we uh communicate with text messages like she's not a luddite but she really likes to track her she likes to do this uh thing called bullet journaling i don't know if you're familiar with oh very it
0: good not. yes yeah Highly so recommend it. she
1: yeah, so she, you know, she has this list that is ongoing, and every morning she will copy anything over from the previous day into her new bullet, you know, list that she wants to take do. And if anything just seems like it's falling by the wayside, she just leaves it off. I, that's at least that's why I understand bullet journaling. I, I kind of do something similarly conceptually, but like because it's all digital, it's very different. So for me, my productivity life centers around uh to doist and by necessity my email. And so usually at the beginning of the day and if necessary in the middle of the day and then again at the end of the day, I will go through my email and clear clear things out until I'm down to inbox zero. And anything that needs action that I can't that, that I can't or don't want to act on while I'm taking care of my email will go into a to-do. Hmm. And that's one of the reasons I use Spark. Is because I love to be able to, you know, basically click up here, say, send it to Todoist, basically, and it'll send it to Todoist. Now, I know um, in the Getting Things Done methodology, you put things in your inbox uh, of your To Do app, and then later you sort them. I don't find that helpful. Hmm. I tend to sort right away. I, I put it where I want it from the location that it's at, and and I give it a due date or whatever. Um, so, you know, email by necessity. Usually twice a day, maybe three times a day, if I'm getting a lot of email, and I, I do have to check my email because of work, you know, throughout the day. I can't just like, oh, I'll come back to it later. Yeah, um, but I don't necessarily. I, I I have set times when I clear out to inbox zero. Nice. So, um, and I've gotten a couple emails since I did that at the end of the workday. So I still have some email, e- emails in my inbox now. But anyway, do you catch um, yourself
0: checking those emails later in the evening?
1: Only if I know that something is, I'm expecting that I need to check. Um, and I I don't mind glancing, you know, and just seeing oh, but I usually don't like if it, unless it's something I need to read, they'll just sit in my inbox unread. I'll I'll just scroll through real quick and go eh, yeah, I don't yeah. Um, but yeah, there's there's definitely things that I might be doing that are requiring me to participate in a conversation with um, you know, some other people or whatever. That that's all fine. It's just that I have set times of the day when I'm really focusing on clearing out my inbox. So my uh, my life productivity-wise – and by the way, Joe, the reason I'm going first is I feel like I'm going to be done pretty quickly, and then you are going to, I think, take this in a very like detailed <laughs> direction because I know you, and I know how much you love productivity. Good, good, stuff. Well, so
0: Can I ask you a question about your approach with Todoist then? Yes. Do you organize your work life as well as your personal stuff, things for your well, family and household, or not?
1: I was just coming to that. So, um, Todoist is where my productivity centers around, whether it's work or personal. And so I have in Todoist two projects. Um, I actually have more than that, but my two primary projects work. I, I call called one project work and the other I call personal. And then within there, you can have, um, what is, what does Todoist call it? They're like, um, sections. Yeah. Um, they're called sections. And so in my to do list, I have several sections. I have, um, one from church related activities that I'm needing to get done. I'm an officer in my church, so, um, I have to take care of various things there. So I have a list for to do's there. Um, I have a, um, I still have a client. Um, and I I do keep this in my personal list just because I kind of look at work as my, during my work hours and my personal list as not during my work hours. And, and so I do have a, I maintain a client that I do work for and then I kind of take care of their servers and so any tasks that I need to do go into a list for them or I'm sorry a section in my personal list for them and then I have a section called to read this is not books this is um articles that I've seen throughout the day or whatever that I want to get to to read so they're usually links to something Um, or maybe I got an email newsletter that I'm subscribed to from the very few that I subscribe to and so I put it in there that's to read Hmm. Um, then I have a generic to do um, I have my uh, my own personal business and side projects that I put in a, list, a section called Buzzing Pixel. I have a couple more sections, but that's yeah. kind of uninteresting. But you kind of get the idea, right? I have several sections. Um, and then I will also set um, – I don't usually set far-off due dates unless I don't want to forget something um, and I need it to show up in today, say, Saturday – I want to remember to change the oil in my van or have the oil changed, I should say, in my van. So I set I put one in my to-do list and set it for Saturday. Otherwise, basically what I do is bullet journaling, which is it's set for today, and then I use the today view to see it. And if I don't get to it that day, I will, you know, I select, I, I shift and then select the ones that are I'm not gonna do today, and I'll say schedule and I'll send them to tomorrow or something like that. That's my general flow for productivity
0: yeah the bullet journaling idea is a really fun one because if you were going analog i think it is the way to go and it it was fun because i've seen the demonstration from the guy who created it he did a good youtube video and it doesn't matter what your notebook is your notepad you just get familiar with a few basic symbols like what you mean by a right arrow or a circle or a filled in dot or half of a check or a full check and you use the symbols to indicate is this a note? Is this a, a a reminder for something tomorrow? Or is this something that I have to tick off today as a priority? You know, so I, I think it makes a lot of sense and I, I like the style. And kind of like you, the method is not it doesn't look the same, but approaching the to-do management in the, in the same way is how I like to think of it with my digital workspace.
1: Cool. Yeah. I mean that's for me, that's really it. Like yeah, I okay. I use today, and then I send stuff to tomorrow, and I might send stuff to the weekend or whatever, and I have my work and my personal lists. I, I do have lists like um books to read. Um, oh, yeah. I have, a rec- I have a recurring list where I have um, – I need to remember to put out the trash every Tuesday or have my kids do it, and so I have that recurring every Tuesday. Um, I have financial related stuff I need to do every Wednesday. Um, I have a few things in my recurring list. Um, other than that, I think that's really the core of how I manage my life.
0: Very nice. So in Todoist then, do you have many repeating tasks or do you like to just make things every time?
1: Right. Well, that's what the recurring list is for. Um, almost, I, I can't think of anything recurring that I have outside of my list for recurring tasks. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I have a uh, – because I I used to have a more automated system, but since I went employed and, and I'm not self-employed so much anymore, I don't want to pay for the automated system. So I have a I have a recurring monthly to do to send an invoice to my remaining client, for instance, on oh, my okay. recurring list. Yeah.
0: Well, very nice. Uh, the thing for productivity for me is I really have gone deep into the space because I think it was around 2007, I was getting itchy to – improve my skills. And I didn't want to take online courses or go back to college. I didn't have a lot of time. And that was one of the things that I, when I was discovering podcasts, I found some guys like uh, Merlin Mann who liked to talk about it on back to work back in those days and a few others, and then realized, Oh my, they've actually been writing blogs. They've been doing talks at conferences now for years about productivity. And so I started down that journey and cared an awful lot about it because I imagine you experienced this too. Because in a former life, you were a creative professional. And wouldn't you...
1: Former life? You don't consider writing code creative
0: or professional? Uh, a creative professional? Uh, would you say you're a creative professional anymore?
1: Um yeah, I, okay. I, I'm very much an advocate that the what I do is a creative. Now it's creative in a different way. I've never been a creative professional in the way that you are, Joe. Even my approach to filmmaking was more, I was never going to be like a director or writing scripts or, or whatever. Um, I certainly did graphics, but that was more of a, um, uh, Kind of a, a, a practical approach. Like, we need this thing to be like this. So, okay. I've definitely always been more the analytical development side of things.
0: Yeah, okay. And no, that is very creative. I just know that when I'm talking to other professionals, usually the, uh, a web developer would not say that he's very creative. And I see it, but they don't. And so Joe, I, I didn't know where Joe, you stood. My on the
1: topic. code is art,
0: man. <laughs> well done. <laughs> it is more than just code. It is you're an artist. Good for you. I Actually, I hate to be called an artist. <laughs> I'm not an artist! <laughs> it, 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 it
1: us, well, it usually is a derogatory term, but also it can mean different things to different people, right? Like, somebody says you're an artist, do you mean that you draw with a pen, pen and pencil? Do you mean, does it yeah, mean that you, you get, lost get on in the computer and do vector graphics? Does it mean you that you work fiction. at Pixar? Yeah, yeah. you're
0: just yeah, being expressive. You, you know. We're all artists. Are we... I guess I, I if if that is how we interpret these things, I guess we would be in our own small ways. But uh, at the artist that I am, I I don't think that my work is art. I think of it as design. Hmm. So okay. yeah, so I uh, you know you and I are both Christians, and I I know we're not you know making up a Christianity show, and we're not going to go deep into the weeds about religion. But I do think it's a uh, relevant to our perspective that. I you know I was I was motivated in part to improve my skills but another part of me was that I I did have the perfectionistic gene and was craving more time for my creativity and pro- projects where I wanted to create something brilliant and beautiful and imaginative and um, sensational with a Mac you know 10 12 15 years ago and it, the problem I ran up against was never having enough time and energy to create something with the vision I had in mind. So when I discovered this niche of productivity, did you say vision? Yes. Um, <laughs> wonder about what that is. So the I wanted to flex the productivity muscles and make them stronger because it sounded brilliant that you just wanted to effectively get more of what you wanted to get done done and uh, understand efficiency and understand workflow and spend less time distracted and pursuing uh, needless you know, uh, goals or doing busy work that doesn't really accomplish anything and isn't relevant to the end goal. So I took more and more of an interest in developing um, the approach that I really want to enjoy my work and I want to spend less time, you know, just uh, killing time yeah. And whether it was with long meetings or too much time in emails. So it's really helped me over the years. And I, I, fi- I find that like you, it kind of scratched my perfectionistic tendency to say, maybe I can't make the blockbuster movie with special effects that I've always dreamt of. But as, a, as an everyday American, uh, I do have the potential to finally craft my approach to work. And I can perfect that so that i'm optimized i feel better about leaving the desk at the end of the day like i've actually got something accomplished in less time you know so rather than originally taking me 20 hours to get the same thing done maybe i can now get the same amount of work done in 10 hours because i'm far more efficient i'm far more productive in my methods so that's why i care about it a lot so so when you said uh we should have an episode about productivity i I didn't mean to go down into the weeds about the motivation to be productive, but I... No, no,
1: that's all fair game.
0: So uh, do you not think of note-taking or um, scheduling as part of your productivity approach?
1: I mean, I do take notes. Um, it just depends. Uh, often, if it's related to a to do, I will take the notes in my to do app, uh, to doist, as a comment on the to do. Uh, well, that's actually a second step. I usually take plain text, markdown formatted notes. If I'm at my computer, I tend to do it in Sublime Text because I already have that open, and like I just like that's my text editor but if I need to have a long-running set of notes uh, on something or I you know just something that I want to be portable across my systems I'll put it in bear um, and I probably should make even more use of bear than I do and and I'm sometimes I'm more disciplined in that um, but yeah I, I definitely in fact that um, I, I forgot I failed to mention fantastical which it, it's difficult to think of it as a productivity app it's more of a this is what you're doing in, at, at, at a specific time app. Um, and that's of course connected to my, uh, my work and my personal, um, Google accounts. And so that all syncs that way. And, um, I can get to it on the web and stuff like that. But, uh, Hell is definitely part of my productivity suite, I suppose. Um, I have a recurring event on here, uh, that I'm looking at right now at 6:30 PM on every Monday, we record HiFi, uh, hi-fi and then at 8 PM, I have a recurring event. TJ edits hi-fi. <laughs> so, um, and I, I also do have, um, contacts uh I, I i'm i'm doing two contacts apps now joe because uh big Sur and i, I well, actually catalina's and big Sur continues to be uh the contacts app continues to be buggy and so i have an app called card hop also from flexibits like fantastical is yeah but the card hop i have it set to be as much of an app as i can make it and it still tries to behave like it's a menu bar app and i despise that i wish it would just behave like an app
0: so you have it on the I find that frustrating. okay i have card hop on my phone
1: I've never used it on the phone. I've, yeah, I, I, why would I, tell me why I need it, why I want it.
0: I think that's where I discovered it and it was cheaper. And then when I looked at the Mac version, I just said, well, it's a little bit pricier and I can still get basically everything else from the iOS app. So I was content.
1: So I really like Cardhop and the way I discovered Cardhop was, I there's this there's this this bug that continues to this day, and I don't know if it's m- most people don't run into it because they're not doing what I do, which is connecting it to your Google account. Uh, most people probably use it with their iCloud account, but like it's a feature you can add go- a Google account and it'll sync with your Google contacts. But um, I so I don't know if this is a bug in Contacts app or Contacts app when it's connected to Google or what. But when I add a new contact, I click plus and I'm I'm in the middle of typing and it just goes away like the new contact goes away it goes out of editing mode and you and nothing about it was saved the card is nowhere to be found it's just gone hmm. and and so i'm like i've got to get a better app yeah, <laughs> and yeah. so uh that's when i remembered cardhop which i had tried before but never really got into um, i really like about cardhop that i can just start typing out you know name phone number email it just parses an address it just parses all that out and it has this preview of a card and you can just click add when you're done and it adds the card it's really great um, that's a good endorsement. But I don't like how it, as you type, it shrinks and moves around. Like, I want the window uh, to stay okay. put. I It's acting like it's a menu bar app, even though I've told it, don't be in the menu bar. Please behave like a regular app. So it's just a little bit frustrating. Just stay where I put you. I don't like windows moving around.
0: It's interesting, too, that that's how Fantastical started years ago. It was only up in the menu bar. Yes, that's true. So maybe that is the direction for a future edition of card hop that they make it truly independent.
1: Yeah. I don't think card hop has changed much though in the last few years. I, I, mm-hmm. I think they did it as a thing and it it works good enough for what they want and they haven't really touched it. Okay. I, I don't know. I, I I'll continue to use it because it doesn't bomb out when I'm trying to add cards, but then there are certain things that I want to do that. I just feel like I'm a little, um, there's just things that card hop does and behaviors it has that I prefer a regular, my, you know, my contacts app, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. but, but again, I find Apple's contacts app to be buggy and frustrating. So I'm a little, a little at loose ends on the whole contacts thing. Cool. I'm looking, I'm trying to find something better.
0: That makes sense. Thank you. Thank you for that little, uh, mention about the contacts book. Cause I hadn't thought of that as part of my productivity system, but it's certainly a part of a, of the whole. And yes, a lot of the productivity system is just about what are your resources and keeping handy the best resources. So Making sure that you have a useful, powerful context book is a part of that.
1: Yeah. And and for me, it's part of my productivity suite more than it used to be because I I'm doing some some things that require me to email certain groups of people. And it's not enough that I want to go actually maintain like a third party service like MailChimp or something that will let me send out an actual newsletter. Right. But but I do have a couple of groups that I'll, you know, I'll be in card hop and I'll right-click on the group and I'll say, send email to this group. And it'll come up um, and then frustratingly, I'll have to copy and paste I can't tell it send it as a BCC, so I have to copy and paste all the um, addresses to the BCC field. so I'm not sending everybody's email address to everybody but because um, I'm not an animal uh, but um, but yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm it's that's why it's part of my productivity suite now.
0: So when I started getting down into the productivity weeds uh, 10, 12 years ago, I took an interest in any blogger that was describing productivity from different viewpoints, and I loved it when they were talking about apps, the digital productivity, and it wasn't just relegated to the corporate world, entrepreneurial world, It, it didn't have to do with synergy, it was something that was applicable to everyone, and that was one of the things that was fun to explore when people were doing the productivity system with notebooks. And I respected a lot of folks that were carrying around something like a pocket-sized notebook and uh, maybe the field notes and keeping track of notes as well as to do's for the future that way and filling up all these little field notebooks. And that was just exhilarating to think about all the potential that they were using those for creatively, staying productive. And I wanted to do that sort of thing. And I was more drawn to the digital system, but I've always looked over the fence and thought maybe the grass is greener on the other side. I should stick to, well, maybe I should explore an analog system. But for the time being, I'm still going digital. And I think you can be productive either way. And so here are some of the things that I found in the if you take a big picture view snapshot of productivity that have helped me. I like the Theme System Journal, which is introduced by CGP Grey and Mike Hurley of the Cortex Podcast. And they've been tooling it and refining it for the last several years. And they've got a community around that from the listeners. And they've swapped ideas. And they've worked on actually designing a physical journal that would look like a notebook to you. And it's really nice because it has blocked sections for... Uh, you know here you can write in what you intend to get done this week, and you know here you can write what you got done this week and how you feel about that or so there 's some flexibility about what you want to use those boxes for on the page, but the reason that the theme system exists is that it 's not about making new year 's resolutions but approaching your year with an overall an overall idea of how you want to improve your work over the course of a season or the whole of a year. So rather than saying, I'm going to do 100 push-ups you know, by the end of the year or every day, rather than saying that, your approach is something like, I want to learn how to actually be healthier. And so you're mindful about all of your decisions throughout the year saying, is this going to help me be a healthier person? Or is this actually hindering uh, my my original theme for the year 2021 where I said, well, what I how I make decisions is in favor of making healthy choices. So would I exercise at all, or would I push myself to try and do a hundred push-ups? And obviously if you wanted to be a healthier, fitter person, then you don't want to do nothing. So maybe the way you start towards that goal is you work towards reaching a hundred push-ups. But you could always have your plans change on you, and realize that what you really need is a fitness coach, a gym. So maybe you f- start following an online series. You do a g- you g- get the equipment and bring it at home, and so you have made your own home gym. And you're following, an uh, you know, a series of, uh, maybe an app, because there's a bunch of great apps, and maybe you're using Fitbod to improve. I was say, did you just describe Apple? Fitness Plus. Well, yeah, and and there's and Apple was only copycatting a lot of others, so maybe yeah they were late
1: to the party for sure. Yeah,
0: so you got your goal or maybe your theme is, which I think is more valuable, the theme of I'm going to improve my fitness all year, or it doesn't have to be fitness. It could be I'm going to learn everything I can about web development, and it could be just something you're going to learn for a season or for the whole year, and be looser and make all of your decisions consciously towards that goal rather than saying, by the end of the year, I'm going to be a web developer and making lots of money in New York City. Like, that's a very specific goal. And if you don't achieve it, you're going to feel miserable. You're going to feel bad about yourself. Um, So I like the theme system. And uh, that has been really helpful in helping me train uh, a lot of uh, intentionality into all of my decision-making for all my work and staying on track. Uh, but it also applies to my personal life. So I like it to affect my work life and my family life. So a- another thing that has been uh, in more recent times helpful, uh, TJ is actually keeping a schedule. And this has been the crux of my my issues. I have always historically been bad about paying attention to my schedule and making appointments and for getting the day wrong and feeling miserable for letting people down because I wouldn't have done it on purpose. And I care about what I have on the schedule. I just, I I mess it. I've messed it up several times. And in more recent times, I've been really good about keeping to do apps and uh, tracking all my project to do's. And I realized I've met a threshold where if I were left to my devices, then I would just check off tasks all day long but not think about a managerial role in life where I prioritize what are the projects I should be working on today for two hours, but then what other projects should I set some time aside for in the afternoon? Um, So a case in point was that I always have these big weekly projects to put out new podcasts and videos on YouTube. And to look down at the future, we're going to probably be doing another documentary in a year or so. And it'd be very easy to get overwhelmed and just become a workaholic and work 10 or 12 hours a day. But I don't want to do that. I can't afford to do that. So in the meantime, there are projects that I want done and the company wants done that are fun. But when are you going to find the time to do them? An example of this is we've been doing a YouTube series for over a year now and everybody wants to see a blooper reel. (laughs) So when am I going to make time to edit the blooper reel, because it's not something that has a deadline. And if I were the manager, then I would give myself a deadline, but my manager doesn't give me one, which is gracious, but I have to figure it out for myself. So if I'm ever going to get the blooper reel done, I actually have to make time for it in the week. And so time blocking is this idea that you actually schedule every uh, minute or hour or 15 minutes or 30 minutes or a day of your work life so that you make sure that to allocate time to the projects that you really need to get done. So I could just run everything in my task list, but then it would never occur to me to stop what I'm working on and work on something else that's needful, but not, in, not urgent and not got a deadline like the blooper reel. And so if I start the day, I start with the calendar and i work out from there. And I say, well, the blooper reel is a priority just as much as these other things that are ongoing productions. So they're going to get three hours in this day, and the blipper reel is going to get two hours in this day. Um, so so I'd use Fantastical for that. Like TJ, I think it's great for all the events and entering those and tracking them across devices. It's great on my iPad, my iPhone, my watch. It's, it's just the greatest. And then uh, for the task listing, this is where I'm just doing the creative thing or getting things done and I do use it kind of like UTJ. I'm not a big fan of the inbox, but I use the inbox when I'm already busy in the trenches and focused on another project and I and my brain remembers to I needed to get something for the kids or my wife or I need to do this other thing later and I forgot to even track it in my to-dos at all. And it's a one-off. So I'll use a keyboard command like control Spacebar, and it'll do a pop-up window for the task manager I use, which is things three by culture code. So I just throw it into the inbox and I will, I will sort it out tomorrow morning. And that's because the first 30 minutes of every workday is blocked out for organizing time. So I will go to the inbox just to say, yeah, this to do gets done today, tomorrow or next week and I'll move it into the project that it's closest to belonging to. Um then there's time tracking and this is to help you with productivity because I it's it's our duty to just make sure that we're not squandering time. We're not squandering our time. We we don't want to be workaholics. We do want to make every minute count for our employer, but I I I want to give them what they're paying for and no more. <laughs> so I want to make sure that it's a good use of their time and my time. And so on the phone, I'm using the app called Toggle and another third-party app called Timery. And Timery takes the data from Toggle and uses things like iOS's Shortcuts app so that you can create nice uh, home screen buttons to quickly log your time. So you can start timers and you can stop timers, and they can be assigned to categories. So things I'm tracking are... Uh, Time that I create something, time that I'm working on something I need to learn, uh, time that I'm managing my schedule and uh, all my data and the big picture of things. So I track time as a manager, overarching of all the things I do. And these are separate timers that I can track. So I have a time tracker for creation and for learning and for management and for meetings and for time that I set aside to exercise so ideally, I want about 70% of my time to go to creating, 10% of the time to go to learning, 10% to go to management, uh, 2.5% to go to meetings, and 2.5% to go to exercise. And that leaves us 5% for the inevitable interruptions and the unknowns. So that, eh, you know, somebody shows up at the house, I had to respond to them, I need to see the door. I need to take a phone call that is going to interrupt the day It has to happen. And that falls into uh, 5% of the, the work hours, the margin time. And I never wanted to go over that. I wanted to keep it down. Um, so what I'm doing is I'm tracking all of this time in timery. And then I'm doing a monthly review process where if you go to the toggle.com website, you can easily see just from one page the reports page, all of the hours tracked in what percentage of the uh, time all those things were taking you. So I'm aiming to keep these percentages for creating, learning, managing, meetings, exercise, and margin time, and try to hit those percentages throughout the month. And I'm actually doing pretty good. Uh, So I'm really impressed with how well that is working as a methodology to say, well, my goal is to reserve 60% of my time for creation. And what I've found from the month of... January was that actually I gave more time to management and a little less time to creation than I wanted to and hardly any time to learning at all. And so I started learning from that and said, okay, well then I'm going to definitely reserve more time in the week to learning things that I can apply to my creative profession. Then uh, note-taking, I love Bear. I used Bear for a good long time and I love to use note-taking because it's like the second brain idea that a lot of uh, writers care about so much that they, anything that they learn that they might be able to use in the future, they put it into their notebooks and they'll call that their second brain, uh, so that they can forget about it for now. And then they can retrieve it when they need to refer to it. So rather than thinking of a notebook as just important stuff or things that I've written from scratch, I think of note-taking as, if this is a resource that is helpful, whether I I came up with it or it it is a resource from off the internet, rather than just making 101 bookmarks in my favorite web browser and saying that I'm going to use them someday, I take the information from the website and put it into a note. And I was using Bear, and it's really good for this, but then I discovered Craft more recently. And I really like the way that craft works on the Mac, the iPhone and the iPad. So I've been doing all of my note taking in craft lately and it costs a little bit more for a premium though. I think it's really good for what you get. It works really well and bear is no slouch. So if, if bear is working for you, then you should keep doing that. And, uh, because productivity is hard TJ and it's really hard to do if you're worn out. I consider my exercise routine to be part of my productivity because uh, I, I've had physical problems developing since my mid-20s, and I feel a lot better today than I did when I was working when I was 26. And it's I contribute that improvement to exercising on a regular basis, and it makes a huge difference. And more recently, I've taken up meditation for 10 minutes a day, using a, sort of like just the technique where you're trying to f- focus and use self-control to to just... Work on your concentration and not let your mind wander. So doing that for 10 minutes a day with the Calm app or the Headspace app is really useful. And it helps to train yourself to do things with more intention rather than with more distraction. Um, so all of these things combined, I think, are really useful for productivity in general. So again, my recommendations were things like, if you, if you want to see the show notes, you'll find all these things like the Theme System Journal, uh, Fantastical, which both... TJ and I both approve and love. And then I'm using Things 3, and he's using Todoist. He's using Bear. I'm using Craft. And then there's Toggle and Timery for all of the time tracking. Um, Just a couple other points, and it won't take long. Uh, I I think that there's been a a growing, increasing interest in spreadsheets, databases, and note-taking with systems like Obsidian, Notion, and what is it called, Rome Research. And what I've found is that I'm still figuring out what I want to do with these apps, but I'm really happy with a hybrid between Google Sheets when I'm sharing sh- uh, content with others in the business. So if I got to share sheets, spreadsheets with other people... Uh, I love the integration between Google Drive and Google Sheets. So uh, that is really good for me. Then when it's for personal use, I like all of my uh, spreadsheets, my budget tracking to be in numbers and it's because it's free. It's right there and it's very Mac like and I find it very easy to use and I, I get by with all the formulas that I need. And then notion is really good for my creative work because I'm producing podcasts for my day job And I want to keep a a perspective on what are the podcasts I'm producing coming up, um, a rotation of content and writers and source material. I edit the material in sort of like a script, uh, like I edit a transcript in a sense in Notion, but I keep a database in Notion. It's really good for databases. So not as feature rich with formulas like Google Sheets and Numbers, but if you just need to spreadsheet with data you can do incredible databases in notion and people are using it for stuff like to replace todoist and things i I don't that's not in the cards for me um if it works for you good for you do it that that way but uh and lastly i I thought it would be worth mentioning tj um i wanted to know how do you manage your notification system (laughs)
1: What do you mean how do I manage my notification system What what what
0: are you trying to get at Well you know I I like notifications on my phone my Apple Watch and my Mac but it's a mess if you just leave them all on So surely you don't you're not a barbarian and just let all notifications flood the gates and disorient and distract you all day long right Uh
1: no I aggressively turn off notifications Um I don't allow my to do app to have any notifications because I'm that's not true most notifications I don't allow for my to-do app. I do want – like if something is due today um, my in my recurring, I want it to come up and remind me that I have something due today. That's about it, um, and I don't want that on my Mac at all. So what I meant is when I say I turn off notifications for my to-do app is on my Mac, I turn off notifications for my to-do app. Calendar events I definitely need notifications for. I like to get notifications about 10 minutes before me- virtual meetings so that I'm like, oh, yeah, I have that coming up. Do I need to be ready for that or whatever? Um I do not have notifications on for email at all. Um, I like I do well. I don't have visual visual notifications. I do let it you know make noise in the background so that I can hear it and be like if I'm like oh I I knew an email was coming I should go get that for what I'm doing. Um, I have that off on of my phone as well. No email notifications on my phone. Um, so I'm I'm pretty aggressive about managing notifications. There are certain ones that I want. And mostly I don't. Most most of the notifications I don't want.
0: Yeah, I take a similar approach. The only thing I've found to be different is that I I really enjoy creating things as notifications sort of to help me stay focused. So I've created a few repeating tasks and things that just remind me to stay on top of the thing that I really want to do. For example, I want to drink a glass of water every morning, but I often forget to even bother to go and get the glass of water. So it'll like... uh, 11.30, 11.30, I get a notification that pops up on all of my devices that says, you know, drink a glass of water. Hmm. And um, so, so I like the notifications to be of my own making rather than being an application just telling me, look at me, this is the thing that I think that, that is important right now. Sure. So I like to create a notification for my future that says, um, I have another one that I found really handy is that around 10.30 any given day, uh, 10.30 a.m., is usually when my mind begins to wonder, you know, I, I've uh, I've been working, I've already gone through all my daily prep, and I'm doing some creative professional work. But then while I'm doing the work in Adobe Premiere and Photoshop and Adobe Audition, my mind begins to wonder almost every day between 10 and 10.30. Mm-hmm. And it, so if there's anything that is stressing me out about life outside of work or something coming up at work, it's probably in that window of time. So I have a notification that'll pop up and say, what is on your mind? And that is just enough to to remind me, oh, okay, that is something I don't need to be thinking about right now. Hmm. And then I close the to-do, and I get back to concentrating fully on the thing that I'm doing before lunchtime. And I've found that to be very helpful to turn off our brain that is drawn to distraction even when it's not in front of you. So I don't have problems with Twitter and Facebook or YouTube, but my mind can wander on its own. So how do you turn that off without something external to remind you to control your mind from wondering? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I find that to be helpful. I, I've thought about, there's gotta be other ways that I could use those kinds of self made reminders throughout the week. And I'm still exploring possibilities of how I might remind myself. I know a lot of people do reminders to I like tell them when to go to bed, but that's not that's not my thing. Um, I, I kind of uh, yeah, know. I,
1: I know when it's time to go to bed. Yeah, yeah. And I know that I stay up too late a lot of times, so it's <laughs> not, it's, notifications not. And in fact, I've tried that. Is it's not gonna change anything?
0: All right. Well, that's productivity. I think it's a good way to introduce all of it in case we want to revisit it in the future.
1: Yeah. So while you were talking, I downloaded things and to see if I was missing out on anything. It's a very well-designed app. Um, I like it. Um, it just doesn't do things that I have grown used to. And to-do is the biggest one being the natural language processing. Like when I type, you know, do thing today, I don't want today to be part of the to-do. I want it to schedule it for today. <laughs> And things doesn't do that. You have to actually click a button and click a thing and tell it today. And like, so that's a huge disadvantage of things. Um, I also don't like the way projects and things work and things.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to tell you to change. Um,
1: No, no, no. I just wanted to see if I was missing out on anything. I'm not. Yeah. I
0: I do find that it's, it's not quite that clunky because I'm using um, anytime I can, you can select multiple entries or the one you're currently editing and you can just press command T and it automatically assigns it to today or command E and it will assign mm. it to tonight. Um, so yeah, no, no, there, there are different ways of working the apps and Todoist is certainly a different approach.
1: Yes. No. And like I said, it's very much when I click add a to do, I'm typing out everything I want it to do. Like, that's just the way I think. Um, I'm, I'm saying, you know, I I don't want to have to click three or four buttons to, or, or remember to do command T, which to me is new tab. Command T is new tab always. (laughs) So command T for today, that doesn't work in my, in my brain, the way I have my mnemonics set up and
0: stuff. All right. And that is productivity. I have been I've used Todoist in the past and I probably would return to it if I needed to work with a team of producers. So any time that I have needed to delegate any kind of production work to someone else, we were sharing to-doist because that is sorely lacking. It doesn't exist in things. So, yes. things is I've never used for the share a, the, the shared list
1: feature yet in Todoist, but I I think it would be great if it ever came up.
0: And that is productivity 101 from Hi-Fi. Now you know
1: yeah well we should end the show but i've been thinking that our ending the way we end the show hey where do people find you where do people find you oh people find me here you can find the show i feel like that's very clunky like i feel like we should just end the show but i just don't quite know how to do it yet so i'm spitballing with with you on the air and with our listeners how how should we end the show well this is we, I, I, I feel too. like the whole i love you too merlin <laughs> man like all that all that stuff is, is is taken we can't do that
0: no i can't tell you i love you um <laughs> let's see here. Do you want to highlight maybe what we would talk about next week?
1: No, because we never know at this stage what we're going to talk about next week.
0: (laughs) Uh, Let me think. Well, what are you going to work on next? What, what in productivity do you have on the docket for tomorrow?
1: Uh, let's see. Where is my upcoming view? Um, tomorrow I have to put out the trash and recycling. Uh, I have to do something related to finances. I need to work on a personal project. Um, I need to reschedule uh, a dentist appointment that was canceled during the uh, the cold snap, and that I've been meaning to do for a while, and they keep calling me and leaving me voicemails, and I just haven't had time. Um, I have some documentation to work on for my uh, job, and a uh, thing related to um, another thing that I'm doing. I really can't get into details on that because it's work stuff. But um, I have to... Um, so one of the things I do for... Um, or one of the things I have to do for church is glue. We have these uh, communion dispensers. Uh, I don't know what else to call them. I don't even actually know what they're called, but there's these cups with the nozzle at the bottom and you push it down and the and the, the communion comes out or the, the wine comes out of the bottom and into the um the cup. And um these tend to the the little seal at the bottom tends to come off. And so I have a food grade glue, uh or or it's a um uh silicone and I will glue that or silicone that thing back on there and let it dry for several days. And then it's good to go for a long time. Anyway, that's what's on my upcoming to dos Very
0: nice. Well, I just had my mother-in-law and one of my wife's sisters down for a week. So we brought them back to the airport today and my I, I am experiencing a whole lot of brain fog, and I, I felt like I got work done today, but I know I was not very productive, so it's ironic that we were working on this topic for this episode. <laughs> Worst productivity day of the month so far, and I'm looking forward to getting back on track, catching up on what I normally do for Mondays t- on tomorrow and Tuesday, which is I need to produce the first draft of the weekly talk show for our YouTube channel at the workplace. So it takes me about eight hours.
1: Here's something interesting about my productivity life or the way I I am productive in my life and my to-dos is I will often build this list of things that needs to be done in my head while I'm doing an activity that prevents me from putting it on my to-do list, like running – or driving or whatever I have in my head of like, oh, th- this needs to be done and this needs to be done, this needs to be done, and then it's all gone by the time I'm back to a place where I can get it on my to-do. It's so frustrating. I don't know what to do about that. <laughs> it
0: is pretty tough.
1: Yeah. And I it's much better because I didn't used to use a to-do app and it would just all go into the ether and i would be like, ah, I didn't get that thing done because it was on, not on any list anywhere. So it's a huge, like, huge difference, but it's still there's that like there's this gap that I don't quite know how to fix.
0: Yeah, for me, for me, the way that I address that, and not saying it It'll work for everybody, but I, I definitely experienced the same thing. And where I'm at now is I just say, you know what? The best way around that is. Every single workday begins with a block of thirty minutes to dedicate to all of the scheduling, all the emails, all of the to-do listing. And if I need to get it into the system, that is when it's going to happen. And then outside of that, I don't care. It's going to be lost to all of the mm. sands of time. I
1: mean, I do have that time too, but there, are, I'm always adding stuff to my to-do list throughout the day. That that that's like, oh, I didn't think of that when I was, you know, because if if I don't do it while it's coming to my mind, it gets lost. And it needs to get done. Um, and that's just, it's just, there's just a gap there where there are times when I'm doing activities that prevent me from putting my, getting my brain onto paper, so to speak. Yeah. And that's that's frustrating. I don't know what to do about that. Hmm. That's well, anyway, that's the show. Um, I'm going to shorten this up somehow. So, what I'm going to say is, that's the show. If you want to uh, find links and notes about the things that we talked about today, you can go to nightowl.fm slash hi fi slash 24, and we will talk to you next week. Hey, Joe, do you have a vision and does it involve Wanda?
0: (laughs) Oh, my word. TJ, this show did not disappoint.
1: Well, I mean, you know, anytime Wanda throws a car at somebody, I think it's a good time.
0: You know, it did fall a little bit into the problem that DC Comics, well, DC movies, have with superheroes in that if Superman is fighting with another Kryptonian, they just start throwing themselves and other things around and none of it really makes any difference because they smash stuff up and nothing, it doesn't really amount to anything.
1: Yeah, I, I, that is my – I think that is my one, my one nitpick with this finale. I, and, and I would um, be happy if we launched the whole concept of fighting – air fights between Superman into the sun, like launch that into the sun. We don't ever need to see that again. It does nothing for me. Um, and in fact, the best parts of this show and the best parts of this episode were – were the parts that did not involve action, and that that 's one of the things I mentioned a couple weeks ago or last week i don 't remember I might see i didn 't write it down, and so i, just, I, don't, I don't know uh, but I, one of these episodes previously I mentioned that I had been watching for All mankind, which I dearly love, and one of the things that it, like that show doesn't have a lot of action, sure, a couple of episodes last season there was a lot of tension and drama, and there was a tense moment when like the rocket the booster you know the or the thing went off when it wasn't supposed to and they're off course and all this stuff like that it happens but it's not action driven and it's not you know vision fighting vision in the air shooting lasers at each other and like I, like that stuff does nothing for me that's my one nitpick with this episode it's just like we don't need the fight, fight, fight. We
0: don't need it. But there were a lot of other interesting things that they did tidy up, and other things that they left undone, so that there's yes. more to do in the future. And I really yes, liked. for sure. I liked the balancing act. They explored a lot. They have definitely developed Wanda's character. They've even demonstrated that they could continue to develop Vision's character post-death. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. yeah. And it,
1: but the, the, when you say post-death, like, he's a synthesoid. Is he, is he ever really dead? Like, you just gotta bring him back somehow. And yeah, I mean, and we have, we have this interesting, like, so obviously questions. What happened to White Vision? Where did he go? Um, I'm gonna call him White Vision until I know differently. Um, and I think there is a White Vision in the comics. So, but like, what, what happened? To him, where did he go? What's his thought process? Is he actually Vision? But because the Mind Stone is missing, is he not? Is he not really Vision? But then, of course, you have the whole um, uh, what, 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 uh, the the ship of Theseus, the ship of Theseus, and the whole uh, what happens if you replace every piece on the ship over time? And you know, so this is just a piece of Vision that's missing, which is the Mind Stone, and which part of that is him? And like y- y- all these questions, right? And you know, we don't know where he went. They didn't do the thing I was expecting them to do, which is to somehow merge Vision's body with the thing that Wanda created that's Vision. No, they left those separate. And that's still – like this is the thing that's interesting is they alluded to the fact that that's still inside Wanda. That that – and, and of course this version of Vision even says we've said goodbye to each other more than once. Certainly we'll say hello again. And, you know, so there's there's – future here there's something going on here vision is not gone from the mcu by any stretch of the imagination
0: that was a beautiful part of this show and one of the most fulfilling aspects of the whole miniseries then then there were other things like the witchy powers of agatha hartness and how do you feel about that i felt like it was okay but again about as fun as watching two kryptonians duke it out and then one of them arbitrarily gets mm. the upper hand
1: so I liked the stuff, the fight between Wanda and uh, Aggie, better. I continue to call her Aggie, uh, Agatha, better than I did the stuff between vis- the fighting between Vision. But the, but it, and later on when you know there's more going on than just the fighting. Scene, and, that, and that's what I like with Vision. It felt like it was fight, fight, fight. Then I'll go in the separate scene and logic with you. Whereas the fight between Agatha and Wanda. There's stuff going on, and you can tell something is going on, especially in that last fight between them, that Agatha's not picking up on. You just don't know what it is yet. In that part, that stuff is gold, where she is sometimes missing, and you, it, it's construed by Agatha, clearly, that she just sometimes is missing her. But what she's doing is something, and we find out what that is. Of course, she's casting runes, which she learned from Agatha, which is just – it was just beautiful. It was just wonderful. Um, so I found that less frustrating. I, there were certainly, I think, earlier on in the fight scenes between Wanda and Agatha, it was fight, 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 and there wasn't a lot to it. I I would agree with that.
0: It was also gut wrenching because they set you up for feeling the struggle with Wanda in the series. At the beginning, it was so awkward to see this this make-believe unfolding as a television show that seemed disconnected from Wanda's character. And in the middle of the series, they did a great job of, of sucking you in to see it from Wanda's point of view so that you could appreciate it the way that Wanda was experiencing it and why she would do this to people and why she would want to this make-believe family situation. And
1: yeah, well, and and there's still questions about all this, like, like, you know, did Wanda do any of it intentionally or when she's in that, you know, we saw last week where she's in that um, frame of mind and, and the magic is just spilling out of her. Was that an accident and then she continues to maintain it once it's there or did she actually mean to do it and who's the real villain here? Is Agatha the villain? Is Wanda the villain? Are they both the villain? Is Wanda going to be the villain of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness or is she going to be a- an ally? Like, there are so many questions.
0: It's also curious that that there was so little connection to the multiverse because it, it it introduces all this witchcraft and that is stuff that hasn't been directly connected to Wanda as to date. I remember several friends who were familiar with the movies but not with the cartoons or comic books didn't understand why she was even called the Scarlet Witch because it just seemed like she had powers and then when they introduced Doctor Strange they don't You know, necessarily relate to Wanda's powers, even though they have a lot in common.
1: Mm, See, here's the thing. The Darkhold uh, seems to indicate that Wanda is more powerful than they name-dropped the Sorcerer Supreme, which right now
0: is Doctor Strange. Oh, was that something that Agatha mentioned Yes, Agatha mentioned monologues? that the
1: Darkhold. There was a whole chapter on the on you that you would be not by name obviously, but like this this person who could create this world out of nothing.
0: Oh, is, is a, okay. Yeah. So that was and, one of the books name that dropped. the Sorcerer Supreme had, huh? Uh,
1: I don't know if the Sorcerer Supreme had the Darkhold, uh, but it's clear that Agatha has the Darkhold, and now oh. um, now uh, Wanda has the Darkhold.
0: It it would also be interesting to see Wanda be introduced to everything that Dr. Strange has at his disposal because she's clearly interested in developing her skill set. Now. Yes.
1: Well, and she's very uh, clearly a quick study. Like, she only spent a little bit of time around Agatha and she picked up on everything she needed to know to defeat her, like, instantly. And Agatha was very powerful.
0: And she, uh, and, 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 and during the cutscene, she's doing sort of the same study approach that Doctor Strange did when while yeah, very he's asleep, much. Well, he's also I have, studying.
1: I have questions about that. We'll, we'll come back to that maybe. Um, yeah, I. Uh, boy so uh, also Fietro um, I'm gonna call him Fietro which is another podcast I was listening to referred to him as Fietro fake Pietro oh, okay. um, yeah yeah turns out that was just stunt casting I said there was only one thing that I had a nitpick this is another thing that I have a nitpick I forgot about yeah this which was is um, stunt casting of Pietro um, who turns out is just Ralph Boner. so right. um, <laughs> not gonna go into all the the jokes there that that, that they kind of hinted at but um, it I just You know, I don't know. I wanted him to be more than. I wanted him to actually be Pietro from. And I felt like it was ripe for this. It was a multi. We're talking. We're leading up to the multiverse of madness. He can be from a Pietro from another multiverse, right? Or from one of the other universes. Like, I don't know. I just felt like it's a missed opportunity. But I'm sure they have reasons for for doing that.
0: It feels like something they could still do is they could still carry a Pietro from another multiverse. But not being brought over by magic tied to agatha maybe of his own volition and because they didn't have a good reason think about it like if the if agatha wasn't the reason for why pietro shows up in this universe why would he show up now in wanda visions scenario why Mm. would there would be a universal anomaly that would bring the character over from another universe just for this epic situation that Wanda's in so i i feel like it kind of worked except that like you it's a huge disappointment so i could still understand a scenario where once you do br- make some bridges and open doors between this universe and other universes maybe an, a real pietro of another universe of his own volition wants to come here and that would be much more satisfying than saying, well, because Wanda lost it and she created her own version of Westview, she somehow sucked a Pietro from another universe over into ours. And now that's okay. It doesn't matter if the Pietro has lost his own universe. And, and I could understand they didn't want it to look like she was, well, like the, she wanted to be able to reverse everything. So if she had to reverse vision and the kids and the town and send Pietro back to his other universe, uh, it would just been one more thing that was like everything else. Yeah. So, um, I loved what they did with agent. Woo. Do you realize what they did, man? That was a big deal in this episode. It was so clear that he's like this, this period of the MCU's Phil Coulson.
1: Yes, yes, very much so. I think you're absolutely right. He's I hope we don't have a a death scene for Agent Woo in the same <laughs> way. Uh but yes, he is very much the new Phil Coulson. He's going to be the I believe he will probably be for Avengers, you know, 6 or 7 or whatever Avengers were on next. Um when the Avengers need to come together, there's probably a new team of Avengers. Like, I think he will be the rallying cry somehow, but he's going to be involved for sure. And he's such, he's such a great actor and he always has a way And I know it's partly the way he's written, but also just the way he is good at acting. He always has a way of disarming. Like you, you get, angry at the person talking to him on his behalf and he's just like yeah you know well that's just the <laughs> yeah. way things are. like he just says this ah gee shucks you know and it, it's so disarming and like they don't even the, like the the villains don't quite know what to do with him <laughs> Yeah, but he's also very competent and good at what he's doing. It's so it's so it's so fantastic,
0: and good acting too. Good delivery. Oh, he of the is character. such a good
1: actor. Oh, he's so good. Somehow, he I mean,
0: almost reminds me of Christopher Reeves Clark Kent. If Clark Kent were yes, trying yes. to be the best version of himself,
1: golly gee, Miss Lane, or golly gee, Darcy, yeah. you know,
0: whichever is appropriate. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh yeah and speaking of darcy like did you I, I feel like maybe something went wrong because of the pandemic where they couldn't actually get her for this episode oh. and so uh like that's the reason we only have the one scene and we barely see her where she's creamy uh-huh. uh, director evil um and uh and then there's a line drop in the credit in the first credit scene yeah Darcy said that briefing debriefing was for the week, you know if that was it like I feel like that we we should have seen her more, but I feel like something went wrong.
0: that makes a lot of sense i wondered why she was mysteriously absent for most of the show but yeah yeah, i don't know maybe they just had one character too many to involve because the show already ran 48 minutes long which was a good deal longer than the other episodes too
1: but i will say that i think the show did as much did, did the best um For her character, and and I really enjoyed having her there, and I I hope that we see more of her throughout the universe. Uh, Some have suggested perhaps we could get like a TV show, like a miniseries that is Agent Wu and Dr. Lewis or something like that. Like I would watch the hell out of that. That would be a good show. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Uh, they they have they have some sort of – when I say chemistry, I don't mean like romantic chemistry. I just mean as characters together working on stuff. They, yeah. You know, she's a very sarcastic person. He's a very earnest person. And so you kind of have this dynamic – that's the word I'm looking for. It's this dynamic that really works well together.
0: Well, and if you're going to explore more of stories involving the agents of S.W.O.R.D. and then the people <laughs> outside of it – and this is under the control of Marvel Cinema Studios versus – a, another studio that is orchestrating Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. where they have to make up characters that are not in the movies, you know, it's, it's just, it's actually, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is, this is the cinematic studio's opportunity to give us what they could have done with a television show like the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. with characters that they sanction that can go from a television series into a movie and back again. And they can yes. do that with characters like Darcy and Agent Wu.
1: Absolutely. Yes. And I think you can kind of tie things together that way. Yeah. So, just real quick, um, I do want to talk about uh, the the, cre- the first credit scene. We had that thing with Darcy, but then quickly Monica, presumably now she's she is or is becoming Photon. But anyway, Monica is taken to a theater by an agent, an FBI agent, and then that turns out this is actually a scroll in disguise, and says an old friend of her mother's would like to see her, and then want- that would be in space apparently because she kind of points up and. So that's that's leading somewhere we know not where yet, um, and then this is what I really want to talk about. In the second credit scene, uh, you're in the mountains. We had talked a little bit about this. Wanda's making tea, but then oh no, she, actually she's levitating and reading the Darkhold, and uh, we, uh, clearly, so is this indicative of? This is just astral projection and she's doing both these things or is this a split personality or and, – and it's probably not good. Like the Darkhold is not a good thing. I don't know how much you know about that. But we, we've seen the Darkhold in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and now we are seeing the Darkhold here. And the Darkhold has never been a good thing, not in the comics, not anywhere. And so this levitating version of Wanda is reading the Darkhold. But that's not great. But then she hears cries of help from her twins who apparently like were I, – I don't know. Like what's going on there? I uh, Do you have any theories?
0: None. <laughs> because even when they're thinking about a uh, white vision, for example, he is in the comic books and so are Wanda's children, but how they executed on them with a, the- show is a departure from the comic books but there's plenty of homages to it so they're exploring new territory they're using something old and something new i like it but it could mean very different things like Mm. i came across a good explainer video about agatha hartness and she's a in the comics But she's more of a neutral character that sometimes does things for good or evil, depending on what her selfish motivations are. But originally, she was introduced as a good, neutral character and hasn't frequent, she's never frequented like a full on. Villainous role and well, and
1: I think we got indication that she's going to be coming back because the line wasn't you know, when she's like, You're gonna need me, Wanda was like, I'll never need you. It was like, well, I know where you live, you know, yeah. so that to me screams she's coming back and yeah. and i I, I, I mean. Catherine Hahn was fantastic yeah. like as Agatha Harkness. I mean, to be fair, like I, there was not any bad casting in this show, but it was she was I would say Agatha like Catherine Hahn as Agatha was a standout. Um, you know, honestly, like this is probably the most we've gotten of Wanda and it's clear that she was well cast. Um, you know, um ah uh, what's Vision the guy who plays the v- Vision's name? Um Oh, I don't have I'm it for me, you know, Jarvis, come on. i love huh. it enough. Anyway, he, he like he's always great and fantastic. He's always been great as Jarvis. Uh, he's been great as Vision, and like he was just wonderful in the show. And uh, yeah, I just couldn't couldn't be happier.
0: The only nitpick I could really have overall is that for a finale, because a lot of it dwelt on action, and a lot of that dwelt on action. Paul, Paul Bettany, yes, Good old Bettany. Yeah. Anyway, action. Yeah, it was. It just brought it down a little bit because it got right. into the witchy powers that are elaborate, hard to follow, hard to measure, kind of like Thor. You know, so Thor at his best is when he is reined in and not allowed to use his powers and looks like he really could die. But if you allow Thor to be the God of Thunder with unlimited power and scope around the universe and nobody can challenge him, then it's just a great display of special effects.
1: Well. Yeah, and and honestly, like to me, the best of the MCU, and this is why I've loved the show, and even this, you know, the best parts of this episode were the parts that weren't focused on the powers, is the best parts of the MCU is when they're focusing on character. And so that's why in in Endgame, when you visit Thor for the first time, and, you know, he's put on a lot of weight, and he's sitting around drinking beer, and he has that emotional scene, like we don't say that name, like that's the stuff – that you, that I remember, right, and that's the stuff that builds the character. The powers, you know, are kind of, and, and that's you know, people say about Superman, for instance, and they're going to say this about Wanda because she's at least as powerful, probably more powerful than a Superman. Um, you know, he's he's boring because. He can do anything, and no, that's not – like Superman is interesting because he gets put in these situations that he is – and he, it builds his character, and he has to figure out how to work within his morality framework. Like, that's what's yeah. interesting about Superman. And so that same sort of thing can be applied to these super powerful characters like – Now we're in this sort of who's who of the MCU, right? Like, you've got Wanda, and you've got Thor, and you've got, um, the Hulk, and like all these super powerful characters. And what's interesting about them is not their power. It's great that they have it, and that does make for some, some, sometimes some interesting things. But what's more interesting is them as characters, and what do they do with that power, and what is their moral motivations, and, and, you know, all that, all that sort of thing is far more interesting, and that's how you tell good stories. And that's why this story was good. Is because in the end, even though they did have to appeal to the comic fans with some action, which again, as you noted, is, brings it down somewhat. But in the end, the way Wanda defeated Catherine Hahn, Catherine Hahn, the way Wanda defeated Agnes, Ag- Agatha, Agnes, Agatha Harkness, whatever, Aggie. the way he, she defeated her was with wits, not with power. Yeah,
0: that was a good move, and that is the yeah. way that you should also treat other Kryptonians.
1: <laughs> Are we saying Wanda's a Kryptonian? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean. We're mixing the streams here. Yeah.
0: Oh. Mm. Well, I would like to see her show up in the, um, Dr. Strange's adventures of madness. That'd be pretty good. If she could have a guest appearance, sort of the way that Tony Stark did in all of the Spider-Man stuff. Agatha? Did I say Agatha? I meant Wanda.
1: Well, no, but I'm sure because we already know Wanda's going to be in Dr. Strange. Oh, we
0: do. I wasn't yeah, looking yeah. at the character roster.
1: Yeah. Well, anyway, so real quick. And then we, you know, we're running long here. So, um, do you, are are you looking forward to Falcon and the Winter Soldier?
0: Oh yeah. And primarily because they've proven their chops with what they did with this show. And sure. I don't even well, have an expectation of if you had asked me TJ, "Hey, you want to see more of the Winter Soldier and the Falcon?" I'd be thinking yeah, yeah whenever they get around to it. I'm sure they will.
1: I think it'll be a much more action-driven show though. Hmm. Because that's that's the nature of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and in, in the vein of Captain America. No, like, that's true. You know, I don't know. Yeah. I just think I I don't think it's going to be at all like the show. No, no, no.
0: Looking forward to it now, though, because I understand that the production values are very
1: good. Yes.